0: Although, Mr. Uh, John the Baptist didn't make it very long in jail before a corrupt um, First Lady, we'll call her, got her way with him. Finally, I mean, Herod didn't want to kill him, but the lady did. So, he's kind of caught rocking a hard place. Right? I mean, which is going to be worse? Kind of the political fallout? Are the trouble at home? Oh. Yeah. So you think on those terms, like I have to live with this woman. The people can say whatever they want about me. I'm in charge, right? All right. So just be ready. Watch out. It'll be fun. And uh, I. Oh, somebody it was my mother was asking me about. You know, well, people don't trust the media anymore, and I'm like, I never did. I mean, I don't know if you. If she taught me that. Somebody taught. We were always taught be skeptical. Don't. They've all they've, they've all got agendas. Who knows? I'm like, do people really trust what they read? I was so no, never. Don't trust what you read in the newspaper. Was how it was originally taught to me, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then it was the internet, which was even worse because anybody can publish on the internet. <laughs> and the brother. All right. Well, anyway. let's let's read something that is trustworthy. Nice. You like that segue. God's word. Okay. You can trust Jesus. How, why can you trust Jesus? By the way. I mean well, he well, said you should, but that, there are a lot of people that say, just trust me. Read my lips. <laughs> I remember somebody saying that. No new taxes. Yeah, good luck. Why should we trust Jesus? Not because, I mean, it's true he said to, but... You truth. Well, I, yeah, but that's, that's circular logic, right? He says he's the truth, so we have to trust him. Nah. Why is he trustworthy? Right? You see that word?
2: Because he died for us.
0: He died in rose, like he said he was going to, right? He fulfills his
2: promises. He
0: fi- fulfilled He fulfilled his own word. That's correct. That's correct. Right. And has anybody else done that? I mean, in the history
2: of the not world? to that extent.
0: I mean, there's pe- been people raised from the dead, raised but from the dead, though, passively, right? Has there been anybody who said, I'm going to die, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead, and actually pulled it off? No, not even Houdini, I don't think. Not. It's not a magic trick. All right, that's why he's trustworthy. Okay, it's always good to remember that. It's his death and resurrection that's the proof of his trustworthiness. All right, and that's why, pa- oh, by the way, that's why pastors, trustworthy pastors are those who preach the death and resurrection of Jesus. If they don't preach the death and resurrection of Jesus, then you can't trust them because that's the word they've been given to preach. They can talk about whatever they want, but if they don't preach that... They're not a pastor. They're not really a pastor. Very good, Leah. You're not really a pastor. Alright. So let's read uh, twelve through seventeen and we'll cover that. Anybody? Luke doesn't want to read. Leah wants to read? Okay. No. Okay. Which chapter? We're in
2: chapter 15.
0: Oh, oh. I'm sorry. We're just backing up a no, am I right?
2: 16.
0: Oh, I'm in the wrong I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry, people. Sixteen. Sorry. Let's get to the right. <laughs> Thanks for... Uh, uh, here we go. Yeah, I think you're right, Ron. We did talk about this. All right, good. So 16, 16. There we go. Let's do that. Thank you.
2: A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another... What is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Amen, amen, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when, he had, when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, for joy that a human being. You, has you been read a lot farther
0: before. than I wanted you to read. I'm <laughs> still
2: coming you
0: just no, you just. I said, I, uh, okay. Well, anyway, you just kept going and going and going. All right, we'll catch up on the woman here in a bit. So stay away from the analogy. We'll get to that in a minute. A little while, you, you've heard this because this is again Easter, which Easter Sunday? Easter 5 maybe? Easter 4? Yes. Uh, well, yes. we, we talked about, last week was Easter 4, or the 4th Sunday of Easter. This one is, you, you all know it because you've heard yeah. the last, yeah, yeah. well actually like we talked about last week, we've only had the one Easter with me in this lectionary, because this, this last Easter you probably don't remember at all. Uh, 16 to 22, Easter 4, mm. which is the third Sunday of Easter. Pfft, so confusing. Easter part,
2: yeah, we talked about Cantate last week.
0: So it's John 15, John 16 are the readings through most of the Sundays in Easter, but they're not in order. So they're not continuous readings. We jump forward and backward. Very confusing. There's, I could, you could write a paper on it, but we're not going to talk about it. It's been that way for 1,500 years, so we just, I guess we just suffer it. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you will see me. All right? So that, that's a pretty simple um, expression. We actually, though, had it, if you remember, back in chapter 14. All right? So um, remember here. There it is. Yeah. Uh, verse 19. You see it? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. So these verses um, from chapter 14 all the way through to, sorry, I'm going to scroll up a little bit, all the way to, to here. Remember verse 31 in chapter 14? We talked about this. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Right? And we said now he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. But wait, there's more. So there's like this false ending, 14 verse 31, and then chapter 15 all the way through so, chapter sixteen, verse thirty-three, is more of what we heard at the end of cha- at the end of this reading. Does that make sense? So, it's like it's like um, if you're watching a movie and this is the director's cut or the extended extended ending. So, the rest of chapter fourteen, or excuse me, chapter fifteen, and then chapter sixteen through verse thirty-three, which is is that the end of chapter sixteen, verse thirty-three? Yeah, chapter 15 and 16 is an expansion of the themes that are at the end of chapter 14. Then chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer, which is either prayed in the upper room, which is my, I think that's right, uh, or could be, could be the prayer that he prayed in the garden as well, Gethsemane. So. All right, so um, you're going to see a lot of these themes here in chapter 14 come up again in these last few verses. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, uh, the helper of the Holy Spirit, you will make your home with you. But here especially, what is it, verse 19. Get a little while, and the world will see me no more, and you will see me. So it's almost as if, let's see if I can get back to where we were. It's almost as if, um, oh yeah, scroll up. Here, he says this again, um, as he said it before, and now the disciples are like, "Eh, you're going to have to explain this to us. Does that make sense? You need to expand. You need to explain a little bit more. So a little while. You see it in 14, but he's talked in the same way in chapter 7, chapter 12, chapter 13. He's going to do the same thing in chapter 19. All right? And every time he says in a little while, then they're like, what is he talking about? Right? So there's always incomprehension, and it's, and it's always in the context of his return to the Father. Right? And I think that 's probably the source of their incomprehension, right Not that it 's going to be a little while and he 's going to depart, but that he 's going to depart. right And then we remember we talked at length about why that 's a good thing that he goes to the Father, right because he sits at god 's right hand, now he fills all things, he has, as he says before he ascends in matthew 's gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, right he 's made atonement for the sins of the world, and now uh, all authority is his, which was always his from creation, but now is his. Uh, to proclaim forgiveness, to, to um, bring all people into the saving knowledge that, of him. Does that make sense? All right, so a little while, a little while. Um, there is this kind of fun little interplay. I think it's fun. It's hard to read out loud. I think Ethan had a good time with it. When I read it in church, I'm like, oh my goodness, do I have to read this whole thing again? A little while. What does he mean by a little while? Again, a little while. Why do we keep saying a little while? So there's two things going on there. One, there's emphasis, right? What's the emphasis on? A
2: little
0: a little while. That's right. Um, I did note here that this is typical of um, like storytelling or simple narrative in the Middle East. So this is like an idiom. This is the way that they tell stories. When you're telling a child and they're not reading it, you want, if you want them to get the point, then you jump into their head and you say, well, what are they? Then you give the perspective. What were they thinking? Right? So I don't know. The serpent said, da, 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 da. And the, and the little boy he thought, "Why did the serpent say what he said?" And then they repeats what he says, and then you go back, and explain it. So it's a little repetitive um, to our ears. This happens a lot more in Hebrew than it does in Greek. Um, you see this kind of repetition, um, but it's which it's perfect for an auditory culture, a, a culture that learns by hearing. Right? We we aren't really a culture, an auditory culture anymore. I mean, some of us still are. I am. I learn by listening. I'd rather. I'd rather listen um, to a conversation than watch people talking on a screen um, I find that distracting actually all their mannerisms and everything I just want to concentrate on the words that they're speaking and the tone of voice and that kind of thing um, but when you see somebody you can you get inflection you get facial expressions there's there's more communication going on there um, the problem for me too is watching a video of somebody talking is one boring <laughs> but but two you know because when I want to watch video I want to I want hundred percent of my attention given to it. But to sit down and watch somebody talk for an hour or whatever on video, it has to be a pretty, you know, engaging conversation for it to be worth watching. And that's why then they add all the pictures, the illustrations, the diagrams, because they're trying to keep your attention. But if you're telling a story in person, you know, sit on my knee, I'm going to read a story to you or whatever, the the visual goes out. And what, what takes the place of the visual? Well, in the hearing, yeah, the, the hearing takes priority, but instead of seeing with your eyes, you still see, but you see with your... Yeah. Yeah.
2: With your mind.
0: With your mind, your imagination, right? Yeah. Right. So it's a different kind of learning, different kind of hearing. That's the culture that Jesus grew up in. Right? They don't have moving pictures. They don't have recordings either. So you, you remember a story by telling it and retelling it. Yeah, right.
1: So this little while. Mm-hmm. Could refer to any number of things.
0: Yes. Three or four. I think so. Give me, give me some of them. Just,
1: uh, just read my no? Okay, yeah. Um, I think you're right. One of them could have been the time between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Correct. Three days. Be before, the resur- before the crucifixion.
0: From the crucifixion, or from the resurrection to the ascension? Yeah, between the
1: resurrection and the ascension, and another between till Christ returns.
0: Correct, ascension to when he returns, that's right. And it's possible he means all of them. That for the disciples, he's clearly talking about his death and his resurrection, right? Or, it's, I think it's not too much of a stretch because of all the conversation about the Holy Spirit between his ascension to the right hand of the Father and the giving of the Spirit. For them, very particularly. But for us, I think it is, it, it's just as appropriately applied to us who are waiting for his coming again that it, he he tells us it's just going to be a little while. Now, granted, we say well, 2,000 years, but you're like, a day is 1,000 years to the Lord, right? It is but a little while to him. <laughs> We're getting impatient, maybe, but he wasn't. Well, we shouldn't be
1: surprised by that, because <clears throat> how many different things in the Bible are right. like that, where they have a meeting, at one time, and it's right. a meeting for something
0: else. Yeah, I mean, it, a perfect example at Christmas time is Isaiah 6. Um, with Isaiah seven, with Ahaz, right? Behold, a, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call, uh, or his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. All of that, right? I think it's that's not a six, that's seven.
1: Emmanuel.
0: Emmanuel. But um, the word for virgin there—that's how it's translated in at Christmas time. But it can also just mean young woman. It doesn't necessarily mean you know who doesn't have a man. So. Um, it's true that that was also fulfilled for the king, that, his, that the young woman bride bore a son, and yeah. so there was an immediate fulfillment for the king, who the prophecy was given to, but it points forward to an even greater promise that is to come yet. Right. And then, so then Matthew reveals that, to, or Luke, whoever it is, pronto to us the child is given. Yeah, that's Luke. So that's right, Ron. Um, the word for that in uh, grammar, since you want to learn a new word every time you come, right? Isn't that part of your, your thing? <coughs> Multi, I learned this in high school. I, I just love the word, so I, can, I always try to teach people. Multivalent. Multivalent. And you know what, like a valence. This is, this is a valence, right? Anybody know from window coverings?
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so multivalent would be those times where you see where they have like three of those on top of each other. So it would be like there's the blinds and then if we had curtains, okay. right? On top of that, yeah, it's multiple valances, multiple layers. It's like an onion, right? You keep peeling the onion. And there's multiple levels. I don't know if you peel onions, I cut onions, but like yeah. right on
1: a stage.
0: Oh, on a stage, right, where you have the proscenium, and you have the, the curtains. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good. And so that and that's the word then for these multiple meanings. Right? There's the outer level, there's the inner, the inner. You, know, you can keep digging and you can see how it applies in different ways, in different contexts. Um, that isn't to mean that the word doesn't have a clear meaning or a, normal, like a commonly understood meaning. You know. But this, this expression, obviously they're confused about it, right? What does he mean? Which little while is he talking about? I mean, we could say it that way. It's a legitimate question. I just felt cold air on my hand. Right here. Oh, okay. That's weird. Um, <laughs> little while, little while. What does this mean? By a little while. We don't know what he's talking about. All right, good. For, through verse 18. Then 19, right? Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, "All right, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying? A little while, and you will not see me. again, you will a little while, and you will see me. And of course, the answer is, yes, 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 yes. He knows what he's talking about. There's other places where this happens, where Jesus knows what they're arguing amongst themselves about, and then he kind of inserts himself. I think that might be chapter seven. I'm pretty sure that might be chapter seven, where that happened. All right, so then he says, truly, truly, so this is prophetic language. Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. So for me, that's the suffering and death of Jesus, right? They're they're like, crucify him. Yay, we finally got him, right? And they're weeping and lamenting, right? But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but here's the key. Your sorrow will turn into joy. And it's actually sorrow will be turned into joy. All right, so... Uh, truly, truly means pay attention. That's what that means. Uh, listen up. Here's what's going to happen. Um, so I think you're right, Ron. What could this mean? It could mean the mental anguish of watching, you know, their their mentor, their rabbi suffer and die. I think that's probably the most obvious thing. It's going to happen here. Uh, and then they wait for him to raise, be raised from the dead by the father. Um, lament and joy, though is often connected to the illustration that he gives. And this is great. Now, Jesus, you know, obviously, I said something to Ann yesterday, actually. She's like, she was complaining about something physiological. And I'm like, oh, I understand. And she's like, do you really? I'm like, okay, no, I don't actually understand what it's like to be eight months pregnant. Okay, no, no, I I understand in in a sense that we've been here before. This is, you know, the 10th time. And, you know, I mean, I think I have some concept of I don't know no you're just supposed to shut up at that point right just close your mouth you don't have any idea what you're talking about let it be. let's let it let it alone because um, it isn't the same as the last times anyway because you know now it's 45 and <laughs> your body um, isn't what it once was I learned that you actually lose like 25% of your IQ points as you get older you actually do get dumber I learned that this morning but uh, your body also starts to fall apart. Yeah, it explains a lot, doesn't it? So, saying
2: do puzzles <laughs> or work?
0: No, it's true. Yeah, that in exercise. That in exercise actually maintains the lamination on the neurons. and Yeah, so they keep working. Uh, but Jesus uses the birth analogy. He does this elsewhere too. Luke 24, we should probably look at that because um, it's pretty profound there. And Jesus can. Why can Jesus use it? Why can he talk about a lady giving birth? He's not been through it. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Except, except what? Yeah. Well, he's omniscient, but more than that. Well, he was the one who gave them the pain in Jess. Well, that's true. I was just thinking that's just, he made woman. <laughs> he knows woman because he made her. mean, How else could you know? That's
2: what he said to them. To Eve. Right. Or God.
0: Yeah. Well that's Jesus. Yeah, but go ahead. What did he say? Well then
2: after they sinned and got eaten, Yeah. Labor for her would be painful. Painful. And then Adam would have to toil.
0: Right. And by the way, I expand that. I say it's not just labor is painful, although that's true, but actually bearing children okay. raising children is also painful, yeah, often especially with infant mortality and all of you know, that. But, um, all right, so this is the road to Emmaus. So there's a couple things that are common in common here with what happened. And it's not the, it's not the birth story, but it's similar. In that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Um, and while they talked, oh, that's 13. I wanted to read 17. There it is, 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are having with each other while you... You walk and they stood still looking sad, right? So they're lamenting. It's the same word, by the way, for lament. We can say sad. And then notice he does some preaching to them. They have the Lord's supper, or he offers them the bread and wine, then he disappears. And then they said to each other, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, all right? So there's the lament being turned to joy and then 41, he appears to them um, here still, while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling. This expression is so weird. They disbelieved for joy. Yeah. Uh, and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? All right. So you see how the, the sorrow is being turned into joy in his resurrection. But how? As he reveals himself to them, as he speaks to them. That's how sorrow is turned into joy. So, I mean, this is what we do at like a Christian funeral, Brother Sorrow. We also preach the resurrection, right? But that disbelieving for joy, it's such, a, like I said, that's a very, very it's it's too weird... Too to be
1: true.
0: Verse 41. Yeah, I like what Gabe just said. Gabe, say that again.
1: It's too good
0: to be true. Yeah, it's too good to be true.
1: It's,
0: so they refuse to believe for, uh, for joy, for care All right, so... Yeah, it's too good to be true, and they're actually scared of being happy, of being joyous. So scared that they won't believe, right? It'd be kind of like, I don't know, maybe you're a fan of a p- political candidate, um, you know, and that candidate appears to have, you know, that's it, it's all done, and then something happens, and you're like, that can't, no, that can't, be, that can't be true, that what? And then it happens, and you're like, "Wow!" I, and, and you just don't want to. You just you don't want to be disappointed. So rather than believe it, you're just like, Pfft. "So." I'm waiting to be vindicated because I've been saying for a few weeks, three weeks, you know, that it'll be fine. We'll get through it. But nope. <laughs> We're like, nope, nope, nope. I'm like nope. There's nothing about this election that was normal. Sorry. Um, all right. So where are we? We're in Luke. So you have some similar expressions there in Luke. And then the woman giving birth, obviously Genesis 3.16 is one. um, But it's all over in the Old Testament, especially Isaiah. So another guy who likes to talk about childbirth. I mean, how dare he, right? They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. I think, you know, I want to be a little bit funny about this. You know, this is what, like Isaiah knows of childbirth is like standing outside with the other men while the women are helping the women give birth. So, again, he's using his ears. He can't see what's happening. And so, of course, he's going to be like, that sounded really terrible. It's true, right? It doesn't sound good from the outside. You know, depending on the woman. Some people are actually, and his sister-in-law is very quiet, which is strange. I
2: think that's why years ago, I didn't allow the men in the Deliver
0: your own. Yeah. I don't I'm in. Because they're
2: just gonna I'm unable
0: to them. <laughs> yeah, which is which is dumb because if, you need the visual, you need to understand, and you're like, oh, I, oh, okay. I mean, I still don't get it, but you know, at least I have. I'm not. I don't have to use my imagination. All right. So so again, the woman in childbirth is referring here to the Lord's judgment and the destruction that will come upon sinners. Um, Isaiah 13, Isaiah 26 is another one. All right. So Isaiah loves this one. Uh, o Lord, in distress, they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your dis- discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth. <laughs> so were we because of you, O Lord, we were pregnant. We writhed, but we have given birth to win. Oh, that's interesting. We have accomplished our deliverance, all right. Now, wh- I mean, why why use this analogy so much? Because, like you said, it's the f- one of the first signs given of of original sin of sin that was brought into the world, right? So every time a child is born, we remember not only that God gives life, but also that we're born in sin, right? And so then that becomes an analogy for um, for sin. Okay, what's another one? Forty-two. Was
1: there a good uh, line. Isaiah 26, uh-huh. verse
0: 19. Oh, I didn't go far enough. Okay. What's that? Um, oh, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy. Right?
1: The earth will give birth to the dead. The earth will
0: give birth to the dead. This is why when, when Jesus confronts the Sadducees and how they deny the resurrection, it's like, why, why don't they believe in the resurrection? You know why? They didn't
1: know the scriptures.
0: They did know the scriptures, but they, they only accepted, as canon, the books of Moses. Yeah. They didn't read Ezekiel. They didn't read Isaiah. They didn't read the prophets, the Tanakh, as, as the Hebrews call it, or Jews call it today. The Tanakh, the prophets. They didn't read the writings. Of the, Tanakh means writings. The writings of the prophets. Because the prophets, I mean, there's resurrection of the body in Moses as well, but it's, it's much more, what do you want to say, veiled, less obvious and the prophets, it's through and through. I mean, or just read Job. They don't even read Job. It's like, I know my Redeemer lives on the last day, and I will see him face to face. And you're like, that sounds like the resurrection. Oh. Yeah, so no, they, the Sadducees denied the other books. They only had the first five books of the Bible, of the scripture. All right, here's 42. For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I think you know our our liturgy, our church services are kind of boring because that's what should be happening. <laughs> before the, you know, so you I I have to wait until you start crying out, Lord, save us, forgive me my sins, and then I'll then I'll do it. You know, it'll be beautiful, but instead it's on I a poor miserable sinner. I'm just joking. I'm having fun with you, but yeah. But there, I mean, that is whether that happens physically, verbally. That is is what happens in the conscience when you know your sin, right? It's it's this like you're trying to squirm, get away from it, and it's terrifying. Uh, Did I give more? Oh, yeah. I don't even think I gave them all. I only gave you some of them. Here's 66. Uh, The sound and noise. Where is that? Oh, there it is. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was quote before she was in labor she gave birth before her pain came upon her she delivered a son who has heard such things who has seen such things shall a land be born in one day this is the postscript this is the last chapter of Isaiah okay. shall a lamb be born in one day shall a nation be brought forth in one moment for as soon as Zion was in labor Jerusalem she brought forth her children shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth said the Lord shall I cause who spring or to who caused to bring force, shut the womb, says your God? Of course, the answer is no. Rejoice, O Jerusalem, and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, That you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. This is all, again, the last chapter of Isaiah, all, it's been, we've been propelling towards this for 10 chapters, from 55 to 66, 11 chapters. And it's the fulfillment of the last day when all will be brought into completion, and um, finally, we who are laboring in birth pangs until now, as Paul will say, you know, will be delivered safely into into heaven. So, so um, yeah, going down as Ron pointed out from back Isaiah twenty six, that our death, and we're put in the grave, and then we're we're actually dragged out of the earth on the last day again with with trumpets and the cry of command, and it's like the earth gives birth to us. Right, as we raise are raised from the dead. So, beautiful stuff, right? Uh, and then of course, Micah, First Thessalonians five—that's the one I was just quoted from Paul. And then, of course, uh, there's the, the. It gets a little weird if you start to read commentaries on this, because then they're like, "Well, I should get back to our actual text." This uh, Jesus is referring to Mary, you know, because anytime he mentions a woman, it's always Mary, for a particular school of interpretation. You know which school I'm talking about. It'd be the Roman Catholics, right? It's always about Mary. That's, by the way, that's why everything's blue in Advent. Did you know this? Why it switched to blue back in the 50s, 60s? It's because it's, it's Mary's color. They even changed the last reading uh, for the fourth Sunday in Advent is a Sunday, is Mary's, is a Sunday, another feast for Mary, actually. Um, we keep, and you hear the Magnificat, um, it's an alternate reading for us. I still do the John the Baptist. But it's blue for Mary, and then we never talk about Mary through the whole season. <laughs> so the, the historic color was, was violet, like Lent, because the seasons are very similar. Um, but then you would need two sets of violet, like one that has, you know, more Lenten cross, of crown of thorns and that kind of stuff, and then a set for Advent that's more, what, candles or uh, the manger or, or kind of a... And, I don't know. Jesus coming in on the clouds would be cool too. That'd be a really cool Advent set. To have Jesus coming in on the clouds. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'm really good at that stuff. I could make one. Why don't you make one? Yeah, you make it. We should. Yeah, I mean, most. Of, I think we're all our sets. I don't think we've purchased any of our sets, right? They were all made for us. Yeah, they were all made for us. So, I mean, that's the wonderful tradition, by the way, is have the church make make the parents' investment. Somebody or people. All right, so what we're talking about? Leah, she never remembers the anguish for joy, the a human being. I love that. I, it doesn't matter what you read, they're always trying to be gender neutral on these things. Um, what? Anybody have a different translation of that? 21, instead of a human being? To a child.
2: A child? Ooh. I'm not giving birth to a child. Because
0: of time. Oh, no, no, that part's the same, yeah. No, that part is the same, but I mean the last part. For joy that a human being was born into the world.
2: Literally.
0: Man. What kind of Bible do you have? King James. Yeah, that's literal. That's actually what it says. For the man was born, right? All right, so, so if you don't do that, I mean, it's in the terms of my sixth grade teacher, God bless her. She she was she hated gender neutral language. <laughs> she hated it, and she like this was like her I don't know like agenda. She was gonna teach us all to hate this. So she would point this out. Man, mankind, right? And and human includes man, right? And woman, <laughs> all right? Because who came first? It's in the Bible. Man and then woman was taken from the man. It doesn't say that. That doesn't mean woman's inferior. It's just, there's just a uh, that's that's the ordering of things that God did. All right. Anyway, mankind refers to all people, women, man, child, all colors, all nationalities. I don't know what we're the ones that like to break things down and distinguish where there aren't distinctions made, or where distinctions aren't helpful. All right. Anyway, it's man which is helpful because then Jesus, of course, he's referring back, he might be referring back to Mary, right? Um, Was she overjoyed that man was born in the world? Yes, because Jesus is the new man, or you say the new Adam, if you want to use his name, right? So as one man brought sin into the world in judgment, so one man, to quote Paul here, brought forgiveness, that's right. That's why man's important. I know you can say human being, you're making it unnecessarily complicated, and you're actually, you're actually hiding some of the theological import of it by, by trying to be inclusive in a way that you don't actually need to be because um, it's already inclusive. It's speaking of Jesus. Uh, yeah, so maybe Mary herself. And, of course, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, it could be the lady in, in Revelation, too. 21, mm-hmm. Revelation. Oh, 19. no, 12. Sorry, 12. Revelation 12. You know the woman and the and the serpent and death and destruction and she's in labor and the world's going to hell around her literally. It's kind of fun stuff this time of year. This every 4 years. Apocalyptic language. All right, let's keep going. I actually wanted to read a lot more today, and I'm just ranting. We're doing okay. All right. So you have sorrow now. Oh, we didn't read this yet. Cuz I stopped Ethan
2: So we have that joy language, and so we have the
0: analogy of the woman giving birth, and then, when the, and then she doesn't remember her pain anymore. It isn't that you don't remember that you were in pain, but you don't remember exactly what the pain was like. Because memories are faulty that way. You remember it was bad, but you can't like, put yourself back in the position that you were in when it happened and, and feel the same pain that you felt then. Right? It's, it's the mem- you have the memory of it, but it's not this. same. All right. So in a way, it kind of goes away. The Lord takes that from you. So you have sorrow now, right? Because he keeps saying a little while, I'm going to depart from you. Make sense? sense? So of course they're sorrowful. But I will see you again. So I think resurrection is clearly in mind there. And your hearts will rejoice. Although they didn't really rejoice all that much when Jesus appeared to them in the upper room, did they? They kept the doors shut and they didn't go anywhere. <sighs> But eventually, right? And no one will take your joy from you. Why? It's your joy, but it's joy that's given to you. And it's joy not based upon who you are or what you've done, but it's joy that's grounded in who Jesus is for you. And that's why they can't take it from you, because they can't take Jesus from you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Some people... um, What happens when when somebody says, you know, I've had this happen... uh, I'm having trouble going to church because it's just not joyous for me. I can't remember. Yeah, I know. And not every Sunday is going to be you know, a rip-roaring good time. You know, sometimes sometimes uh, the preaching or the hymn or the reading is going to hit you in a way that gives you joy. Other times you might leave actually feeling the weight of your sin more than you do joy. Depends on how the Holy Spirit works upon you that day. I mean, God willing, you've, you'll always hear the word of forgiveness and you know that. And nobody can take that from you. Right? Because you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, it was given to you. Like any gift, you know. I mean, Jesus is not a what's the opposite of a re-gifter? Who's the person who takes a gift back? Do we have a term for that? People? My grandmother was this way. An Indian giver. That's that's it. Yeah. That's I knew there was a term for it. She would come and she would look around the house. God rest her soul. Okay. She would look around the house, and she'd make sure that the gift she gave was on display, right? And we learned this the hard way. And if it wasn't out, it wasn't about, or it wasn't being used, she'd be like, do you want me to just take it back? You know, I, I'm sure I can find somebody who would like to use it or would appreciate it. we <laughs> are like, you gave it to me. <laughs> well, yeah, but I didn't give it to you to keep in a box. Ironically, she was kind of a pack rat, a very organized one. She had boxes and boxes of stuff, organized, but not on display. Nobody saw it. She kept, okay, so after um, they cleaned out the house, because my grandfather died too, and then uh, my mom gave me, like, all of all of the Christmas cards I wrote to her, all the thank you notes. She kept them all, and she had them organized. And I appreciate it. I mean... But I don't know. Do you think she went through the box and looked at those thank you notes every year and like, oh, look at how appreciative my grandson is? Maybe she did. Maybe she did. I try to be charitable about it. I don't know. I read the thank you note, I say thank you, and then I throw it away. You know, I, I appreciate the card, and that I, I think that's the limit of the purpose of the card. Is I like, received your thank you. I suppose we could put it up on a, on the wall or something.
2: Well, I was carried like, I went to this older couple's house. Uh, Yep. I just had a cleaner for two hours, but it was his birthday, and like the day before, a couple days
0: before, and already, the birthday card was in Louie's <laughs> <laughs> face. keep it for a week. We have Christmas cards up from two years ago. They're still up. cash get the card. <laughs> I like how you think. All right. Um, anyway, so what are we talking about? Joy. Oh, yes. Joy comes. Um, it comes from the word of Jesus. Uh, if this is, it's hard for this to not be heard as an indictment, but if this was my response, look, like, if you don't find joy in the good news that Jesus proclaims to you, the problem isn't with the good news. The problem's not with Jesus. The problem's with you. Right? You're unwilling to hear it, to receive it. You, know, you don't want it, or, or you don't like it, or you don't appreciate it. And I've had people say that in a helpful way. They're like, look, you talked about how I'm trying to think of an example. You know, you talked about how um, our, our relationship to Jesus is, well, he does this in, in multiple times, is like being, um, being his holy bride, right? And he's the bridegroom. But the person was in kind of a rocky or not, not a great marriage. And so the illustration didn't really ring true or, or it didn't ring, it didn't give them any joy or comfort because When they think of marriage, they didn't think of it the way that Jesus gives it. So the problem was really with the individual more than it was with Jesus' description, his analogy, uh, likening our relationship to him as a bride to a bridegroom. So the problem being with the hearer, not with Jesus himself. So I think that's what's going on here with joy, right? Nobody can take the joy from you because they can't take me from you. You can, of course, not be joyous and hide away in your upper room and be fearful of everyone else and not go about your life free of fear, right, thinking of uh, Zechariah's song, right? Free to worship him without fear all the days of our life, right? That's, that's what you want. You want, to be joy- you want to be like Zechariah where your tongue is loosened to praise praise him and you just go about, you go about rejoicing in all things knowing that your salvation is here. That's what Jesus is. That's what he's working in you by his spirit through his work. All right, uh, but then another prophetic thing And we've heard this stuff before, 23 and 24. Um, And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now this can confuse you a little bit. There's a note on it on the sheet. And that um, both in Romans 8 and Hebrews something, um, Jesus is interceding for us before the heavenly throne. Uh, Hebrews 7. All right, this will come up in the next few verses as well. And that... But he says here, he's not going to intercede. We can just directly speak to the Father, right? Um, Rather than him praying for us, we have immediate access to the Father. We can pray, our Father who art in heaven, right? Well, on what basis? He tells you here, on the basis of his name, all right? This is really important when it comes to prayer. I actually heard this on a podcast, and I, I, I really appreciated the comment, is don't pray, dear God. Be specific. And, uh, and actually, the Lutheran on the show, it was a bunch of Reformed people, but then our Lutheran was on there too, was like, yeah, it's one of the things that's really kind of aggravating because it takes some time, but to pray through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Father, or the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, right? And you oh, do we have to do that whole long ending, but why? So that we always remember that we pray to the Father, Through the Son, by the Spirit. To use the prepositions used in the New Testament. That the reason that that you can pray to the Father, call him God the Father, Heavenly Father, whatever, is on the basis of his Son. That's why even the shorter call will be to God the Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Even without the long, long ending. And the Spirit is always living and active, both in the Father and the Son. But at least pray to the Father on behalf of the Son, or pray to Jesus, right, but acknowledge the Father, acknowledge the Spirit. Um, generic God talk, the, the problem with it is, um, because it's not so specific, is that you can slip easily then into false doctrine. And But also, when God wants you to pray, he wants you to pray based on his word. So the exercise then is this. When you pray, like, to the Father, you're, even before you open your mouth, think about, well, what has the Father promised me? What do I have on the basis of Him being my Father, God the Father, right? Or Creator, You say God the whole, you know, the Creator. Well, how can I pray on that basis? And then use God's Word. So, for example, you know, Heavenly Father, you gave me new birth through my baptism. Right? So that's the way that He's your Father is through baptism. Right? And in baptism, you join me to your Son. Right? So, be specific. I always do this uh, with the kids in catechism. Those of you, I'll actually, you've all had, my kids have all had me for catechism. It's like, well, you know, who saved you? God did. I'm like, be specific. What's his name? Yeah, Jesus. Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus is getting after here, right? Pray in his name to the Father. If you pray in his name, you can pray. You have access to the Father, right? So you are Christian. You have his name upon your forehead and your heart. And he will give it to you. Of course, we've talked about that. Does that mean he's going to give you a pony or a Ferrari?
1: <laughs>
0: no, I, he'll give you whatever. You can't pray in Jesus' name without praying according to his word. Because if you don't pray according to his word, you're actually misusing his name. Does that make sense? We just think Second Commandment, right? You do not. Curse, swear, use satanic arts, liar, deceive by his name. But call upon it, and every trouble pray, praise, and give thanks, right? And his name's attached to his word. Uh, until now, you have asked nothing in my name, all right? Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. All right. Um, and why ask, by the way? Why ask for it? Is he gonna, are you going to, do you get it anyway?
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. But you ask that you would believe, and believing, you have joy. But without faith, acknowledging that every good thing, especially your salvation comes from Jesus, there's no faith, there's no joy either. There's nothing to be happy about or joyous about. I'm sorry if this sounds a little bit, what do you want to say, logically circular or something, but... No complaint? Everybody understanding what's going on here? I don't want to be laggard if I don't need to. Okay, good. Speaking of which, <laughs> I have said these things to you in figures of speech, in parables, in riddles, in a cryptic saying. You could translate it any of those ways. So even Jesus acknowledges that what he's saying is a little bit, I'm not really sure. I mean, we, we obviously understand it more because we're on this side of the resurrection. But to them, they're like, okay, Jesus, whatever you're talking about. Um, The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in these parables or figures of speech or cryptic sayings or what was the other one? Riddle. But will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, we talked about the word for tell you plainly. That's actually one word in Greek. Uh, That was back in, I don't know if I wrote it down. This I say 7 verse 13. So is that right? Let's go see what seven verse 13 says. Oh no, this is where he didn't speak openly. It's the same work. No one spoke openly to him for fear of the Jews. Alright? So we're contrasting here. He's going to speak openly clearly. Uh, and they don't. Sorry, scroll back up. They will they don't speak clearly. This is that it's that word for speaking. I feel like we had it like in the last chapter. I should have written it down. It has to do with um, confession of faith, opening your lips. Um, uh, I wish I could remember. I See, I tried to find it and I couldn't find it the other day, so I didn't put it on the notes either. All right, so tell you plainly. Yeah, 713 is the same word, but it's not here. It's parousia. Somebody, to, if they had all your sheets, you could go look it up. Freshness, openness, frankness. It could, be, it could be translated any of those ways. I know I wrote it on a sheet, and I put it in Greek on the sheet, parousia. So if you had your stack of sheets, you might find it.
2: There was Greek on the last
0: one. Yeah, I was Greek on the last one.
2: Well,
0: that was for convict. That was for convict, okay. And so it was probably a while ago. All right, speaking openly, plainly. Uh, How is he going to speak openly and plainly about the Father? By the Spirit. They'll understand what he's talking about later on, right? When the Spirit opens their hearts and minds to understand the things he said. And they'll remember the things that he said. He's been been saying this many times in John's Gospel. I gave you a whole list of them here. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 22. Chapter 6, verse 61, 62, 77, verse 39. He keeps saying this. Um, And John does it like parenthetically even. He says these things they did not understand at first, but later they understood him, right? Like like this one. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Right? Talking about on the third day I'll raise it up. Referring to his body. Um, In the synoptic tradition that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke they call this uh, the messianic secret. Have any of you ever heard that term? It's especially the case in Mark's gospel, right? Where it's just nobody understands until after his resurrection. Like, like everything is veiled from the people. It doesn't make sense to them. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't believe him. It's that they don't understand what, he's, what he means. They don't have the full context yet to understand the import of the words that he speaks. That's not the same as unbelief, all right? This is why um, there's much more accommodation made for the, for the apostles, or excuse me, the disciples and their confusion than there is for you. You actually don't have the same excuse they have because you know the rest of the story, to quote somebody. What was his name, Paul Harvey? And that's, and that's the rest of the story. I, by the way, if you, if you liked Paul Harvey, um, in the tradition of Paul Harvey um, is a show called uh, And That's the Way I Heard It, I think. That's the way I heard it, yeah. It's um, the Dirty Jobs guy. What was his name? What's his name? Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe, yeah. I think it's like in the top five podcasts in the world. But it's short. Um, and he just started reading through his book where he does a lot of those stories. So the last one was about Mel Brooks. Um, at the Battle of the Bulge, it's pretty cool, cool story. But it, it's the same thing, and that's the way I heard it. And he kind of he hides the meaning until the very end, and they're like, "Oh, I get it. Okay, yeah." Uh, and that's how the that's how the scriptures work for the disciples. Jesus speaks to them. A lot of it is veiled. They remember it by the Spirit later, but then they understand it in context. Now, okay, I see what he was after. And so, yeah, you don't have the same excuse because you know the resurrection, you know the ascension, and you have the gift of the Spirit. Now, by your baptism. Um, So, yeah. Christians are held to a different standard than those who are outside of faith. It's part of the deal. Uh, In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, as we just talked about, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God, right? So believing Jesus, you have access to the Father. And the Father loves you on the basis of your love of the Son. Got it? I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So now he's explaining what he means by a little while. That's what he means. So now that is, very specifically, the ascension, is it not? Yeah. Uh, But but the death and resurrection is bound up in that because he can't return to the Father unless he has done the will of the Father, which is to die for the sins of the world. having accomplished that, the Father raises him from the dead and and then receives him in the ascension. Make sense? You You can't come home until you've done the job, if you want to put it that way. That's kind of callous, but it's like, don't come home until... I'm trying to think of the expression... I don't. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to see you home until something. Really. Sounds like a terrible parent. Don't come. Don't come back. Don't talk to me again until you X Y Z. Right. Don't ask me again. Until. I feel like it. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> All right. That's not how the father talks. Because Jesus, Jesus's will and the father's will are one, so they don't have that kind of conflict. Alright, ah, then his disciples said, now you are speaking plainly. Yay! And they're not using figurative speech. Thank goodness. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Alright, good so far, right? Uh, Anything on there? Nope, that's fine. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Huh. Well, behold... The hour is coming, indeed it has come, is now, right? When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Ouch. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Well, ultimately, until he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Which is interesting, right? Right? Because it's much like what we heard from Zechariah, where Zechariah rejoices in God, you know, that God has saved him, and yet Jesus hasn't actually died and risen from the dead yet to save him. And yet Zechariah rejoices in his salvation. As did all the, as did all the patriarchs, right? Whether it's Moses, Noah, Abraham, whoever had the promise, Isaac, Jacob. They all rejoiced. Uh, how does Jesus say it? They rejoiced to see my day. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. That was back in John something. Find it. Well, wait a minute. How, Abraham didn't see the day of, of Jesus' resurrection, right? Because he'd been dead. No, Abraham died. Our fathers died. What chapter was that in? It might be, I think it's chapter 8 or 9. Um, and what's Jesus' point? The point is, yes, he has seen the day of resurrection, not eye to eye, not face to face, but by faith in the promise. That's the promise. He rejoiced to see my day. So did David. So, yeah, they all did. Right? And now he's saying he's already overcome the world, but he hasn't even died yet. But He's already done it. Um, and that's easy enough for us to understand. I think we talked about Hebrew understanding of time, being cyclical. But for Jesus, now is forever. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Right. In one sense, he hasn't yet died. In another sense, he's already done it. So think of like Colossians 1. Do you know Colossians 1? I'm finally memorized where it is. I always quoted it, but I never could remember where it is. <laughs> and I finally gave up and I said, I need to actually memorize where, where this is in the Bible. Um, all right, so I got, but now I have to remember. Colossians 1, what? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, there it is. I think 16, maybe. All right, so here we go. Look at this. Speaking of time, he is the image, speaking of Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. We talk a lot about that, right? And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of of his cross. Isn't that something? That he is preeminent, that he made all things and he's redeemed all things. And all of that, Paul doesn't have this flat sense, of, linear sense of time. It's like he's flattening future and past and present all into now. Now. Like that hymn that I really don't enjoy. Now, now, now the silence, now the... You know this one? You know that one? Now the silence? You've sung it? Yeah. Now, now, now. It ends now, now, now. I, it's too repetitive for me. I'm sorry. But... I mean, I get the sentiment of it, but it's. it's modern. It is, yeah, it's Lord's Supper Him. I'll just read it to you. It's one stanza, it's not long. But it does, it does actually convey this. No. No, we didn't see it. I, I talked about it. Oh, no, now I went too far. No, no, no. Now the tongue, my mystery telling. No, that's a different one. Come, um, let us eat. No. Let all mortal flesh know, thy body know, O Lord be praised thee. There is an index on the back. I know. It shouldn't be that hard, but it's only... I know, it's on this side of the page. I even... All right. Fine. Give me... A
2: marker in
0: the index. 9, Nine ten. It's actually at the back. I was in the wrong section. It's at the beginning of the service. Here it is. Now the silence. Now the peace. Now the empty hands uplifted. Now the kneeling. Now the plea. Now the father's arms in welcome. Now the hearing. Now the power. Now the vessel brimming, brimmed for pouring. Now the body. Now the blood. Now this joyful celebration. Now the wedding. Now the songs. Now the heart forgiven, leaping. Now the spirit, spirits visitation. Now the son's epiphany. Now the father's blessing. Now, now, now. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, you're thinking of, I said, now that my tongue the mystery telling. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I don't know. That one has a lot more nows. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you get the idea that present tense, right? God is for us present tense now. Not he was for us or he will be for us. You know, We don't have to look forward to heaven. We don't have to, or only look forward to heaven or only look back to what he did at the cross, but that he's present for us now, bringing, I mean, literally... You know, to him, it's he just died for us, and yeah, anyway, you were going to say Ron. Um, I just have a question
1: that mm. I was looking up here. You were referring to something in Mark before, but I yes, the disciples didn't
0: understand. You. Yeah, it's called the messianic secret. Yes,
1: um, verse 32 of chapter 9 in Mark.
0: Okay, um, Mark Jesus mm. says, The Son
1: of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men who have killed him, and after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he means or what
0: he meant. And were afraid to ask him. We're
1: afraid to ask him. Yeah. So that that's why is that even in there.
0: That's because that's what happens in Mark's Mark has that emphasis that they, they just they listened, but they didn't they didn't push him on it. They didn't try to seek to understand. Uh, which is interesting because like in Luke's gospel, you know, twelve-year-old Jesus is in the temple. Asking them questions, and they're asking him questions, and they and they're that's with the with the priests in the temple, but the scholars, the Bible scholars, they're they're going back and forth asking each other's questions. But the disciples don't. The disciples
1: must have been with Jesus and
0: At this point, uh, let's see, Capernaum. It's probably chapter nine. It's probably been a year or two at this point.
1: Well, he's talking about
0: the the, uh, the mute spirit. He's going to
1: be betrayed.
0: Yeah, he hasn't quite turned to, well,
1: no, it's yeah, maybe year
0: two or year two and a half, somewhere in there. Yeah, it is interesting. So, I mean, this is one of the things with the Gospels. They, they each have their own, I don't know, nuance, flavor, you know? Slant, slant right? John has, has been very much about expanding the mysteries, not necessarily explaining them, <laughs> but showing you the depth of them You know, to actually increase your sense of awe and wonder. Like all this language about the Father and the Son and the Spirit and their inner relationship and how they they work together for your salvation, but also how you can pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the Spirit. And the Spirit comes to comfort you, but to reveal to you all that Jesus said, which was given him to say by the Father. You know, all of that kind of language that we've been talking about, that inter-Trinitarian relationship and dialogue, which isn't in the other Gospels. And why would John do that? Well, I think it's actually, one, because it's beautiful, and two, because Jesus said it, but, but probably also um, because it's helpful for us to understand that, that not only is God triune, there's three persons, but that those three persons are always working together for your benefit. All right. So even as the Father made all things, as we read in Colossians, he made all things through his Son, who is the Word incarnate, you know, made flesh later. So, yeah, that's good. Well, let's. I think, we, I think we got it. Did we finish verse 33? Did I talk about that? Yeah. These things I've said to you that in me, that, I wanted to emphasize this in me, you may have peace. All right. And it's kind of like what I talked about in the sermon today, right? You know, people, I'll tell you where that sermon came from. Uh, I should probably send you the link or something. Um, it, was a di- it was a conversation, a radio program. Well, actually, it's, it's a YouTube show um, by a Roman Catholic who's a faithful Roman Catholic um, who's not happy with the Pope, the current Pope. Um, specifically, this current Pope has now allied himself with, of all people, the Chinese Communist Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, what is the Pope doing with the Communist Party and with the Rothschilds? And the Rothschild—I uh, mean, he spoke with whatever his name is Marianne Rothschild. Um, he's probably trying to get some money. Well, it's always about money, but it's about money, power, influence, and it's violence. Actually, and it's the same kind of language. That's what he's doing. And you're like, wait a minute! I thought you were the head of a church. It's no. It's it's power. It's it's authority. It's control. It's they. The, the Vatican doesn't want to be. Disqualified from having a place on the world stage, and so instead of standing up for the truth, according to God's word, he actually misquotes the Bible in the presentation the Pope does, in a terrible way. And, and then what does he want? He just wants to be a, he wants the, the Roman Church to be important of and to be like seen as a collaborator with all of these these efforts for one world government, one world economy, one world. You know, food, it's about moving everybody into cities, out of small towns and farms, consolidating farms, all that kind of stuff. And what's the Pope have to do with any of that?
1: It sounds
0: like the book pillars of the earth. It does. No, it's true. It's true. And the papacy's been about this, I mean, at least since the time of Luther and beforehand. They've always wanted to be important in the eyes of the world. And you're like, what does it say here? No, we don't have peace through your collaboration with, actually, a really terrible government, the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, they've got, they've got millions of Muslims and Christians in concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And they're harvesting body, like hair and body parts. Um, this is, these are not people that you want to have as your friends. Um, but he sees, he doesn't want to be irrelevant. He doesn't want the church to be irrelevant. It's already irrelevant but if you're China not going to preach makes, Christ.
2: China makes, no. Irrelevant. Well, I mean, in a way they do true. because
0: they're atheistic. That's right. right. But he's an atheist too. Um.
2: Just this
1: morning, I uh, heard something on the news by
0: Kamala Harris making something in common about Christianity. Oh, yeah. Which was very... Yeah. Disturbing. Well, no. <laughs> this is the thing. People say, well, how can, how can Mr. Biden be a Roman Catholic? Because he's a Roman Catholic in the way of the Pope. Not in the way of the faithful Catholics who actually believe Jesus and want to follow his word. And yes, they're confused on, on some doctrine, but on the whole, actually we could still call Christians. Based on what the Pope was saying, I can't even call him a Christian. And if you really want to see a great example of this, look at the nativity scene at St. Peter's this year. Yeah. You've seen it?
2: Oh
0: With the space aliens? Yeah, There's, there's space aliens
2: yeah.
0: at the nativity. Yeah. There's Sumerian gods. It's, all,
2: it's
0: horrible. It's I understand the sentiment that you wanna represent some art from places in the world, um, but you don't put space aliens at the nativity. I'm sorry, that, that's out in front of your church. That's kinda that's kind of weird. No, um, and there's other stuff in the Vatican itself, actually. There's all sorts of pagan iconography. They have, they have a strong connection in that video. If you watch, I should link to it. The guy's name is Michael Matt. The show is called, Michael Matt. Um, it's it's called the RCC it's the it's the it's the Roman communist something is the name of the video I watch his videos because I I, he's a faithful Catholic um, and it's very interesting to hear somebody within the Catholic Church actually being like Luther saying we got some major problems here and you know the the child abuse the sex abuse scandal is actually par for the course if you're going to align yourself with these atheistic governments that have no regard for humanity, then the, it doesn't make sense. Um, what happened there? No, they also have a strong, uh, within the Vatican, there's, there's, there's lots of iconography attached to Freemasonry as well. Which is another, um, the Freemasons are one of the many groups throughout time who've, who've tried to unite the world under one secret you know, government. They're one of the groups, my grandfather was one. I read, I read the materials. That was their goal. One of the things. It's like, yeah, they wanted just, they wanted to, like, for it to be a business network. But but internationally, yeah, they were trying to influence political leaders and get a common interest. So. Um, why did I bring this up? Oh, yes. In me. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. In the Roman Church. In the Communist Party. In the, I would argue, in, a, in political parties in our country, maybe, too. But... But with all that stuff happening around us, where are we to find our comfort, our hope, our peace? In Jesus. Yeah, in Jesus, right? Which is why I've said now that we know what we know about the virus. I mean, we're not going to close again. Um, There's no medical reason to do that, scientific reason to do that. And we actually need to be present with one another around God's word with the things that are happening in the world around us. Because without that, this is our respite. This is our... um, when you say oasis, um, we're in the world, but not of the world. Um, so that's what's going on here. And then we have a whole new section. So we got a nice clean break, and then we can talk the high priestly prayer, which will take us a little while. Um, but it's beautiful. I don't know if you've studied chapter 17, 18, but it's beautiful. All right, let's close with prayer. Let's shift question. No, okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your many blessings, especially for the gift of your Son, Jesus, in whom we have our hope, our peace, and our joy. And we ask that you would, by your Spirit, keep us with Jesus all the days of our life, that we can serve you without fear and rejoice um, in all your many gifts, especially as we prepare uh, to receive again the message of your Son's incarnation and what that means for us. Uh, grant this for the sake of your holy name, O oh Jesus. Amen. Amen.